Welcome back to the first podcast, uh, Acacia Covered podcast of 2024. Last time we came to you, it was 2023, but we're back in the new year. Uh, had a little Christmas break, holiday break to recharge the batteries a little bit and uh, get back into sports. And sure enough, as soon as we are ready to get back in sports, Mother Nature decides, no, we're not quite ready just yet. Uh, you know, let a little bit, a little bit of action come back uh, the first week of January, but then uh, a little snow all across the state that really wreaked havoc on uh, on schedules. Uh, I'm glad I don't track schedules uh, just as as much as I used to when I was working at the newspaper because uh, trying to track down all these rescheduled games would be a, a logistical nightmare. But uh, uh, they'll, they'll be played, hopefully, at some point, all the games that were postponed or, or postponed from earlier this week. But, uh, you know, we got basketball, football, uh, basketball, um, wrestling, swimming, and now bowling has started up as well. We had a, had a few bowling meets, but we're first going to start with basketball, and we're actually going to start with a topic that's not uh, not on the court. No, uh, no game results uh, uh, that we're talking about to start off. We're going to talk about something that uh, some recent activity with the executive board here at Keisha uh, that will potentially have impact on the future of basketball in high school, and it's something that's been. Uh, a long time in the, the discussion process, and that's the shot clock at the high school level. And uh, Jeremy Holiday here at Keisha covered Keisha uh, sat down with uh, Kyle Doporowski, our basketball administrator here, to talk a little bit about the potential of the shot clock coming to Kansas high school basketball. Welcome back to another edition of Inside the Walls of the High School Activity Association. This is Jeremy Holliday, and I'm sitting with Kyle Doporowski and going to talk about some news that came out of, I guess we'll say, Inside the Walls at our latest executive board meeting. Um, it was a virtual setting due to the weather, but uh, we have a, a pretty big finding or decision coming out of that executive board meeting that we want to communicate to you in regards to basketball. That's why Kyle's here. So uh, without further ado, Kyle, what took place yesterday? Yeah, excited to make my maiden voyage on the Keisha Covered podcast, first and foremost. So uh, thanks for having me and uh, listened a few times and excited to be on. So yeah, as Jeremy talked about, some uh, pretty significant news out of the executive board yesterday. Uh, the shot clock for basketball has been approved on a pilot trial basis that is optional for the 24-25 school year. Again, this is optional. Schools can decide to do this or not. Uh, but it is not permanent and is a one-year trial basis only for the 24-25 school year only. And a couple of the key points we talked about, it's not a permanent decision. It's a one-year optional trial. Then following the 24-25 season, there will be more discussion at the executive board level to really parse out uh, some of the findings and, and some of the observations from those schools who wanted to give it a try uh, for 24-25. The uh, this will be in play for boys and girls varsity only. And if a school opts into it, the shot clock will be in play for the boys games and the girls games. So you will not be going to a school that opts in that has it for one gender and not the other. So boys and girls, the same school will have it for both genders varsity only uh, at that school for, for next season, 24-25. Yeah. So what are, what are some things that you as the basketball administrator in this office are 
looking to gather from this trial and um, what are you asking schools to take note of and, and so on and so forth? Yeah, great question. Part of the part of the opt-in to this, each school will, the admin, ad administrator at each school will be required to, to complete a short survey at the end of each night uh, talking about who, who the teams that played were, what the final scores, what the observations were, total number of uh, time the game officials conferred with table workers relative to shot clock issues. You know, were there any problems or issues related to the shot clock during games. A short survey just like that that we will get back after each game that does have a shot clock in it, uh, and we will compile and look at that information throughout the season and uh, continue to uh, analyze that and, and discuss that with our staff and the executive board for following the 24-25 season. Right, and obviously, so this came about, the shot clock was um, – implemented from the NFHS basically allowed states to adopt it. And since then, uh, several states have. And our neighbors to the north did a, a sort of a trial basis, but they basically put it in for their bigger classes uh, right away and, uh, and, and let them use it on the, on the bigger class level. In this case, we're letting all classes do it. So Kyle's illustrated that, I mean, technically, if a 4A is going to go play at a 6A and the 6A has opted in, they will play with it. They will. And you talk a little bit about Nebraska, and that was uh, certainly part of the conversation I had with my counterpart, John Dolliver, uh, the basketball administrator at, at Nebraska. And the very first year it was possible, they implemented it uh, and required it at the Class A level, which is a 6A equivalent in Kansas, their largest schools. Uh, and it went very well, according to him. And so uh, this year that we are in now, this season, uh, they required their Class B schools to use it, which is an equivalent of our 5A. And uh, it sounds like it's going well in Nebraska, but Jeremy brings up a great point. So you may have a school that might only play three or four games with a shot clock next year. So, uh, you know, as Jeremy had alluded to a little bit there at the 6A level uh, and kind of going back and I'm only a year and a half into this to this job. But this is you know, this has been a, a topic that has been nationally okay. uh, discussed for, for several years. And for the 22-23 school year, the NFHS just said, yeah, every state, you make your own decision. And there's about half of the states in the country that are that are or are going to implement it at some point soon, uh, this season or next. Um, and uh, Kansas will be joining that. A little bit unique in the fact that it is a one-year pilot instead of a permanent mandated decision for every school. So that's a little bit unique to Kansas. Uh, for, for next school year. Yeah, so not using it for the postseason, just the regular season, um, just because it is a, an opt-in trial basis for all classes. A little bit how we got there, you know, we had, we've sent out surveys even before uh, the NFHS implemented it. So we've been gauging the conversation here in Kansas for a while. And um, the most recent one at October regional meetings came back and we saw support at the 6A level for sure, 5A level was a little mixed, more mixed, and then the, the rest of the classes wouldn't necessarily say they favored implementing the shot clock. But I don't think the board uh, and the discussion around in our November meeting was, uh, well, let's only let 6A do it and the rest can just wait or not do it at all. And, and so that's, we, when we do stuff like that, it's not a lot of fun <laughs> for many people, uh, especially here in this office, having different rules for different classes. Uh, so that's really the reason for, and let's just, if they want to do it, no matter if you're 1A or 6A, let them do it. I think it's important to talk about how this came to be. So the KIAAA is the Athletic Directors Association in Kansas for high school athletic directors. And, uh, you know, as you join the 
is you join the book and probably about two thirds of the way uh, or so through that what has been written now, uh, the latest proposal from the KIAAA was for 5A and 6A schools only to implement it. And that came out of KIAAA last March. Uh, and then that was brought to the executive board in April. Uh, and then as Jeremy talked about, uh, went on the road with Bill Faflick, our executive director in October, where he makes eight or nine different stops around the state. And there's there's a various number of, of topics that he gets feedback on, some related to basketball and, and most are not, but the shot clock was on there uh, this October. And as Jeremy illustrated well, the so, so really 5A and 6A, that was the proposal. Yeah. Uh, and 6A favored it very strongly, as Jeremy talked about, 5A was, uh, was a little bit more even, uh, which led to the conversation Jeremy just described at the November executive board meeting, which led us uh, to where we are today with a pilot trial that is optional and not permanent uh, for the 24-25 regular season only at the varsity level. Yep. It'll be interesting and uh, exciting time next year, but we're still midway through the season this year and just observations from this year, Kyle, anything uh, basketball wise that you're seeing out there? Yeah, it's just been a lot of fun to be out in gyms and, and hearing the pep band and smelling the popcorn. Um, you know, we have really good players and really good coaches in the state. And I think every state could say that, but uh, I've been impressed with the quality of play uh, at some of the games that I have been to and uh, just uh, thoroughly enjoy watching coaches coach and lead the next generation of Kansas Kansans and leaders for our state and for our country. And, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's refreshing to see how coaches and games that I've been approach the leadership part of it with not just going beyond basketball. Right. Yeah. Well, good to know. And again, shot clock will be used on a trial basis for, uh, the next 24-25 basketball season and details on what all that includes. Uh, the the facts of the, of the trial will be uh, pay, uh, posted on the basketball page of the KSHSAA.org website. So tune in there for all the details. And uh, I'm sure Kyle will be communicating with coaches and ADs alike about further discussion with the shot clock. Thanks, Jeremy. And that was Jeremy and Kyle talking about it. And uh, guys, what do you think about uh, the shot clock? You know, this is something that obviously it's been implemented in the professional and collegiate ranks for, for a long, long time. Uh, many states uh, surrounding Kansas have used shot clocks at the high school level. Uh, it's been something that's been discussed for as long as I can remember. Uh, uh, covering high school basketball, there's been talk about shot clock uh, you know, being being used at the high school level. What are your guys' thoughts on potential of the shot clock coming to the high school level? Yeah, I love it. I I, I think anything that, that brings the high school game, uh, you know, more in lockstep with the with the college game and, and to a lesser degree the pros. Uh, that's that's just great in my book. Um, you know, I think I've, I've heard a lot of coaches uh, down here in the Wichita area who've kind of clamored for it. Uh, you know, they're they. You know, for multiple years, they know it's they know it's been on the table and and uh, uh, have been eager to to jump in and and, and give it a try. Uh, you know, will it have some growing pains? Yes. Uh, you know, no no doubt. Uh, you know, you're blending technology with human operation, and that's that that so that this pilot season that, that Jeremy and Kyle talked about uh, in 2024 25 will will give schools that are opting in a chance to to you know really kind of sink their teeth into it, see what works. 
see, uh, you know, you know what what extra that will require. And I think it'll be good for officials. It'll give them a chance to acclimate and and adjust to. Because uh, it is, it's a big thing to pay attention to during the course of a basketball game. I mean, I think you, you think about how you look at a game or watch a game. Uh, you know, there are it's a, it's a pretty small fraternity of people who watch a game and hit a button when the ball hits the rim. I mean, that's that's just gonna you're gonna have to develop a new kind of a new culture around the state uh, of, of people who are who are uh, you know keeping track of the the shot clock. But I think uh, in terms of how it will improve the game, I have no doubt uh, of that. Um, you know, it's good. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna keep the, some flow to the game. Uh, you know, I, I, I watched, <laughs> you know, watched the ACC network documentary the other night on, on an ACC tournament back in the uh, early sixties where, you know, back when Dean Smith was running the four corners and, and teams were spreading out. And, and I think, I think that kind of, you know, obviously it's a strategy, but I think the, you know, maybe if you, you gave true serum to Dr. Naismith. He would have wanted the game to be played up and down with with an aggressive style, and, and this thirty five second clock will will definitely do that. And you know, I think it's exciting for players too. Um, uh, you know, I, I I'm just I'm going to date myself here a little bit. I'm, I'm older than dirt, but but my senior year back in in nineteen eighty six and eighty seven, uh, you know, I played played for my dad at Augusta High School. In my senior year, we uh, was was the year of the state had a pilot program for the three point shot. So yeah, that's how old I am. I'm, I predate the three point shot. And, and during that season, uh, Keisha allowed some tournaments around the state to use the three point line in the tournaments. And, and uh, I played in a tournament at circle in the, in the early part of the season where they used that. And it was, it was neat to be a part of, it was kind of, uh, you know, you, you back in the early eighties, just to kind of <laughs> backtrack. I don't, I don't mean to hog the whole podcast here, but, but, you know, the early 80s in the college game, that, a lot of conferences were trying different three-point line lengths. The ACC had a had a three-point line that was inside the key. I mean, it was 17 feet, nine inches. And that was, you know, uh, it was one of those things you watched that and just kind of fascinated. And then because the, you knew at that time the NBA had used a three-point line for a little bit. Their line was way out, you know, I think at 23 feet at that point. And, and here you had an 18-footer being a three-point, you know, a three-point goal in the ACC for a season. And uh, you know, the Big East was experimenting with six fouls. So you had that, that early 80s was, was a, you know, kind of that, that transition into these types of things that we're doing today with the, with the shot clock. And, um, you know, it was fun to, to play in a few games in high school my senior year uh, with a three-point line before, the, you know, the following season, the National, Feder- National Federation of High Schools gave the go-ahead to, to use the three-point line in, in high schools in, uh, beginning with the 87-88 season. Uh, exciting time to, to be part of that evolution. And I think that's a, you know, kind of a neat thing for, for kids, you know, boys and girls here across the state to be able to play, uh, you know, they watch the college game. They know, they know, you know, the rhythm and the flow of the shot clock and, and uh, now they'll get to be a part of that. And, and um, you know, it'll be, it, it will be a different type of transition than, th- than the three point line, uh, required there'll be more you know administration required of how to operate it but I think it'll be uh, you know it's a welcome change it's, it's it's due time for for this evolution in the game yeah I agree I you know it's something that I remember a state basketball tournament girls state tournament one year um, I believe it was class 4a and Colby and Hayden were playing each other and uh, basically Colby just stood and held the ball for an entire half it was almost like an entire half to try to slow down Hayden at that point. Hayden, I believe, ended up winning that game, but it was like a 
you know, 18 to 12, something like that. And that's not how basketball is meant to be played. And, and, you know, there, I mean, there are coaches that have used it effectively over the years to, uh, to really enhance, you know, their chances of winning games and to slow down uh, teams that were clearly more talented than they were. I remember uh, another boys state tournament where, you know, every possession one team took was like two or three minutes, uh, just trying to keep the other team from having possessions to score. So, um, I think it, yeah, I, I agree with Scott. It's it, it's something that it's good for the progression of the game, good for the in, the intent of what the game is, how the game is supposed to be played. The game is not supposed to be played by pass, 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 just a just a pass, pass, pass without without direction or purpose to it. You know, it's 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 meant to be played where you're scoring baskets. I mean, that's basketball. You know, it's not it's not hold ball. It's basketball. So. Uh, the goal is to put it in basket. I, the, the thing that uh, surprises me a little bit is that they are going through with it, given the fact that uh, in the survey of a majority, not a majority, but the pros and, and against, there's more more schools were opposed to implementing the shot clock than in favor of implementing the shot clock. So that's that's kind of an interesting asset aspect of it as well, that uh, you know more schools out there really don't want to see this. And perhaps it's from a, a personnel standpoint, you know, may, maybe they're having a hard time getting people to simply work the score, the clock and the official scorebook for the game. And now here's one more thing you're throwing on plate of, of, a, of a, you know, a teacher or a administrator or somebody doing their extra duty there to help out the program. So um, it'll be interesting to see how many schools actually do opt in for this next year um, and, and what the results are, you know, what the feedback is and, you know, obviously, it's not something that seems feasible to be implemented in in larger classes where there's probably more personnel available to uh, handle at the addition of a shot clock. You know, I don't think we'll see it if it is implemented. It's going to be a six a five a four a thing. You know, we, we've had some different di- different uh, approaches in like postseason formats for for different classes. I think this is going to be a either the whole state's doing it or the, the state's not going to do it. So it'll be interesting to see what the feedback is and maybe some of the schools that, that were opposed to it, if they're playing in game, you know, maybe they choose to opt in or maybe they don't, but maybe they're, they're playing against a school that did opt in. And, and, you know, it's, I believe it's up to the host schools to determine whether you're playing that game with a shot clock or not. And, you know, maybe they go and have it to play in a game that where there's a shot clock and they go, you know, that's, that's really not that bad. You know, it, the, the flow of the game was better. It, 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 was, it was something that we really enjoyed, and it, and it changes their mind. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how this all plays out. But uh, another step forward from Keisha uh, in, in trying to, you know, stay in line with the collegiate and professional game and just and advancing the, uh, the sport of basketball as it tries to do with uh, all the sports in Kansas. So um, it'll be interesting to see that next year. Ricky, Mac, you guys got any, any thoughts on this at all? Yeah, I'm a little surprised that they went with the 35 second instead of a 45 second or, or a 50 or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think I think like Scott said, that is good to get them used to the to the higher pace that they're going to see in college. Um, you know, instead of instead of easing into it with like a, a 50 second shot clock going to a 35, I think that'll that'll you know really get them prepared for the college game. Uh, I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, from, 
my standpoint out in western Kansas, I w- I'm a little curious about the just the logistics of it. Uh, like you mentioned, having to find somebody else to to operate the shot clock and and you know the equipment and all how, and how that'll work. I do think it's a good way to roll it out on a trial basis and have have teams opt in. Uh, I'm curious about some of the you know the old school coaches like. Mark Applegate, will he will he bring this to South Gray? Keith Riley, Pat Styles, um, you know, I think once they have some time to kind of to kind of come to terms with this, I'm interested to, to reach out to them and see, you know, hey, is this something you know we want to do? But uh, yeah, overall, I think it's a good thing, and I, I think it'll really really help the quality of play in Kansas. I'm hoping that anybody who's still concerned about it. It is more based on the personnel issues and just kind of having that concern. Cause if it's about, uh, the style of basketball and, and I, I've seen it, I've seen people comment where they say, uh, you know, coaching comes into it when you're, you're trying to play keep away at the end of the games and coaching comes into it when you have to figure out how possession after possession, how you can score when you are limited, you have to be efficient and find the open man quickly uh, so looking at that and then, and, and, you know, uh, on the same point that Scott and Ricky made on, uh, just kind of matching the higher levels of basketball. And I was, I was thinking of, uh, recently JJ Redick was talking about how European players currently have an advantage over American players in that the, uh, travel rule is followed internationally, but we don't have that in college and high school. We don't have that. Uh, half step that they have for the NBA rule. And obviously you don't have to build everything based around what matters for being the best possible prospect for, you know, making the NBA, but just having that consistency as much as you can, each little difference between the NBA game to the college game to the high school game, these end up having effects. And, you know, I, I, I see it all the time where parents say that for why they want to expand seasons. They want to make sure that these kids are ready to, uh, you know, be as close to the college game as possible. Well, this is just another one of those steps that if you can do it, if you can make sure that the shot clock can be managed, that the personnel issues aren't going to be too big of a problem, this gets you closer to that. And I have to imagine that there is way more positives for having a shot clock put into the high school basketball game than there is to just say, well, it, it seems like too much hassle. I don't really want to do it. Uh, it, it. It has the potential to, to really help. And it's, it looks like a small thing, but overall it ends up being a pretty big thing with all these different rules that kind of change getting people ready for the next level. And, you know, something like shot clock, even just from, I, I think a good enough reason is just the aesthetic watching keep away for the final quarter is never fun. So just from that, but when you look at all the other aspects, this seems to be a rule that could really help high school basketball in Kansas. Yep, I agree on all of that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out uh, next year, but we'll uh, turn our attention back to this year. And, you know, there's only been a handful of games uh, since the Christmas break. Uh, you know, we got the the one week where we had games that were played, and then uh, this week obviously has been kind of a mess. But, uh, you know, coming up next week, we got our – we're at midseason point for basketball. We got the midseason tournaments, predominantly boys' uh, tournaments next week although there's there are a handful of girls a handful of tournaments that have boys and girls sides like Coisington, sterling a lot of league tournaments and things like that and uh you know uh you know looking ahead what maybe look ahead a little bit uh to to some of these tournaments uh, 
guys, are there any that just jump out at you uh, that are going to be ultra competitive? I know from my area, uh, I'll be writing about this later today that, you know, the Twin Valley League is, is I, I, I don't think, think there's a, really an argument. I think it's the best small school league uh, in terms of especially class 1A in the state. Uh, you know, last year, our girls uh, state champions, both uh, both division, both class 1A champions came from this league with Donovan West winning the division one title, Hanover taking the division two title. Uh, you look at Axel football, what they've done, uh, you know, just it's just a, a great, great, great league. And this year's league tournament uh, is going to be especially good on the girls side this year. You look at it, uh, Clifton Clyde's undefeated. They're the number one seed. Valley Heights is undefeated. They're the two seed. Uh, Centralia's got one loss. Frankfurt has one loss. They beat, uh, they just beat Hanover, which went undefeated last year and was the league champion sweeping the TVL titles. Uh, you know, they come in as just the fifth seed this year in this tournament. So I think that girls, uh, girls bracket up there is just going to be tremendous. I can't wait to, uh, to, to see how this all plays out. It's, it's, and it's one of those tournaments where you sometimes see a, a five or six seed make a run just because of the depth of this league, you know, it's a 12 team, 12 team league, but it is, it is just deep with uh deep with competition. And, you know, Clifton Clyde has the number one seed on the boys side as well. Uh, they've, they've, they've been really good this year. Uh, Kai Steinbrock just set the school record for three pointers last week, uh, career three pointers made. Uh, they've, they've got some really good wins this year. Uh, they just beat Axel, which was ranked number one in, in uh, class one, a division two, uh, last week. So uh, Clifton Clyde is the one seed Hanover uh, perennial power. They're the two seed Centralia, the three Axel is now the four seed, even though they were undefeated in number one coming into 2024. Um, you know, they, they fall all the way down to the four seed. So, you know, this tournament is going to be played at Onega this year. Uh, it's one that I'm really looking forward to seeing, but guys, are there some other tournaments out there that have some fields that really, uh, really catch your eye and make you think, man, eh, that might be where I maybe end up going out and walk, catching some action this week. Yeah, I'd say down around the Wichita area, I'm, I'm kind of looking, looking to, uh, on the, especially on the girls' side, on the, the Hillsborough tournament. Uh, Heston and Hillsborough are both in, the, in that tournament, both ranked number three in their respective classes. And, uh, you know, Heston's girls came out of the break with a really impressive win over Cheney, and uh, uh, they're 7-0. Hillsborough, you know, state, state qualifier last year, 7-0 as well. Those teams seem to be on a collision course to, you know, if they can reach that final, uh, having an unbeaten matchup in, in the in the championship game there a week from Saturday up at Hillsboro. So that's kind of one I'm keeping an eye on. Of the brackets I've seen uh, down here, you know, so the historic uh, tournaments down here, uh, you know, the first invitational is going into its 60th year, and, and uh, the host Bullpups will be the number one seed in that. Uh, Hutchinson, which is ranked in, in uh, 5A, is in that field along with uh, Derby, uh, you know, third place team in 6A last year. So I think you know, it, it's always a good field at McPherson. That'll that shouldn't uh, you know. You, plus, you get your, your your Kansas City area sampling with Blue Valley and Free State will be coming down for that. So always like it. Always like it when you get to see those teams uh, from other areas collide. Uh, up at the eight offer up Invitational, another one that's been around for a long time. Uh, and it will be the number one seed, but uh, look out, you know, I mentioned Cheney uh, on the girls' side. Look out for their boys. They, uh, Cheney's boys came out of the break, and, and uh, you know, of course we know they all – the Cardinals are coming off to the, the state championship run in, in 3A football, which, you know, and ended Andale's long winning streak. Well, they uh, they also ended Heston's 32-game basketball winning streak, uh, the first game out of the break. So, 
Uh, the Cardinals, you know, started the season one and two. Uh, had a couple couple football players on the shelf who were kind of healing up, uh, you know, from from the rigors of football, including uh, their all-stater Jackson Both and and uh, Coulter McDaniel. Uh, those two are back. They, you know, they they served notice right before the break. They went up to Mound Ridge, the reigning two A champion, and, and got a, a win uh, right right before the break. And then coming out of the break, knock off another uh, reigning state champion in Heston. So uh, the Cardinals are, are have climbed up to number three in three A, and and I think you know, really kind of make that Halstead field uh, maybe a little stronger than, than, than initially you, you might've seen, but uh, uh, still waiting, you know, it's kind of one of those things you're, you, it, it, this is always a, a little bit of a, the anticipation time. You're kind of waiting for those brackets to come out. There's some others that I haven't seen yet uh, that I can't speak to, but uh, always, uh, you know, with, with tournaments like uh, the eight offer up at Halstead and, and the McPherson Invitational, those are just two tournaments around, of many around the state that are rooted in history that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that boys, uh, the boys' field at Sterling as well looks to be really, uh, really solid. When you got six and one Sterling, uh, Scott City six and one, Hugoton five and one. Uh, you know, that's three pretty solid teams right there in the in that boys' field at, at Sterling. Uh, you know, Scott City uh, obviously a, a perennial power from back when. Uh, you know, Glenn O'Neill was the coach out there. Hugoton, Trey O'Neill coaches there. They're the defending 4A state champions. Uh, and Sterling is, uh, you know, they're going to be on their home court. So, you know, the home hometown team in that tournament there, that should be a, a really solid tournament. Uh, the Burlington Invitational usually is a really good tournament. I went out there last year and, and watched Sabetha beat Ottawa in the title game there last year. This year, the Sabetha boys are 6-1 and one with uh, first-year head coach – uh, Josh Wartenberger taking over for longtime coach Scott Berger. Uh, Rock Creek's there, six and one. Burlington four and two. Silver Lake four and two. So, pretty solid boys field there. And on the girls side, Silver Lake six and zero. Oh, Ottawa five and one. Labette five and three. So, pretty solid, uh, solid girls field there as well. And then you just look around at some other tournaments. Uh, you know, uh, that are that are good. Uh, you know, the ones we always talk about. Dodge City TOC is always a, always a good tournament. Uh, you know. Wichita Heights will be out there. They're they're the uh, you know top team in in, uh, in Class Six A boys, and so um, those are some other good ones. Uh, Ricky Scott or Mac, any any from your area that have caught your eye yet? Yeah, uh, Mid Cotton League is usually a pretty good solid tournament, and uh, this year on the girls' side, if Hoxie and Smith Center match up, I think that that'll be a pretty good matchup. Obviously, they'll meet later on too, and, and could meet and get in Substate, but. Um, they're both undefeated and that they've kind of formed a, a pretty fun rivalry in, in basketball and volleyball. So um, I'll be excited if, to see that game if that matchup comes to fruition. And then uh, Colby Orange and Black is always solid as well. Um, uh, Goodland's had a really good year so far. They're undefeated. Uh, and the Col- Col- Colby's pretty solid on both sides. So those are those are two, and also the High Plains League tournament. Uh, Wichita County girls have been a really good story again. They're they're off to an undefeated start, so there there are a few that kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, and at this point, I'm still just waiting to make sure uh, which ones are happening and and who's staying in, because uh, you know with the the weather, I know some teams were ready to kind of you know cancel a little early, but I think they're sticking with it. I think one was uh, Tonganoxie. Uh, invitational, particularly on the boys' side, with uh, having Atchison, and then uh, you know, with with teams like uh, Bonner Springs that's uh, playing really well this year, and and uh, you know they 
like just seeing a, a, a schools that will try to keep up with that Atchison team. I know uh, just they themselves will be uh, really, really fun throughout. But honestly, at this point, I'm going to, you know, pump the brake, wait a minute and see which, uh, you know, uh, tournaments come in before I pick which one to go to, but really just looking at the games heading in before the tournament, uh, a few have got me pretty excited. One big one that's six, a boys basketball, uh, is just on Friday night, uh, Shawnee mission Northwest, uh, against Shawnee mission East, uh, right now, both teams undefeated and have had to have some, uh, close games. Uh, so one point victories, uh, Shawnee Mission Northwest the other night uh, ends up beating Olathe Northwest 51-50. Uh, they end up down the stretch, need their big uh, center, Ethan Taylor's listed as uh, seven foot. I might have to get out a tape measure, but the kid's tall, got great wingspan. He ends up getting a huge block in the final five minutes to, to set up a, a play going the other way that ends in an Avon Riley three-pointer, and then they use their defense to uh, really just – uh, squeeze the game and, and, and get out with the victory there. And then Shawnee Mission East also had to get a one-point victory over Olathe Northwest before the winter break. Uh, they end up having a less dramatic 65-42 to victory over Shawnee Mission North. Went up 21-3 to after one. And, uh, you know, so th- both of those teams right now uh, rolling in, in, in that game against Shawnee Mission North. Uh, three Lancers uh, in double digits. Will Beck scored 19 uh, Teddy Saylor scored 18 and, and Carter Brock, uh, added 13 and, you know, just two teams with a lot of depth. And when they clash as they battle to try to take that top spot or hold on to tied in the top spot, cause the late, the West just made it to seven Oh as well in the sunflower league. But, uh, that will be a, a really big matchup, and I think uh, neither, whoever wins, neither team faces Olathe West until the latter stages of the season. So uh, that'll be big one to say nothing of. Uh, you know, Blue Valley Northwest reigning champs still undefeated and uh, holding on the EKL, and they'll have a big matchup with Blue Valley West on Friday. So even before we get to the tournaments, uh, a lot of big action. And once I get through that, I'll start looking and and figure out. There's always something. A lot of my top teams end up going in tournaments with the uh, some of the top Missouri teams as well. So uh, you have to imagine the the next week of high school basketball should be pretty fun. Yeah, usually Blue Valley Northwest, Mac, but I don't even know if they like to play Kansas teams until they have to. So, <laughs> you know, they're one of those those t- programs that they're always, you know, doing out of state. And I think they finally played a Kansas team uh, on, on the fourth. Uh, so, you know, they, they've, they've been playing their Missouri schedule and and, uh, and uh, they'll finally maybe dip into playing some some Kansas schools here, but, uh, Hey, also the Hoisington bracket, uh, looking on both sides, boys and girls, uh, three, one loss teams on the girls side, three, one loss teams on the boys side. You got, uh, Ellsworth boys who, uh, Will Cravens just went over a thousand points for them, uh, this past week. So Ellsworth boys, the top seed there at seven, one, and then Minneapolis girls having a really nice season at seven and one. They're the top seed on the, on the girls side with Hoisington right behind at six and one. Uh, lacrosse five and one uh, the lacrosse boys and girls are both five and one Pratt boys are five and one so uh, Hoytington winter jam should be a, a really good tournament as, as well with a lot of a lot of really a lot of teams having really solid years uh, out there so we'll uh, we'll definitely be diving hard into uh, into basketball tournaments 
uh, starting next week. We got two straight weeks of midseason tournament week. Next week is by far the heaviest uh, slate and some great tournaments all around the state. We will try to have uh, schedules for every single one of those tournaments involving a Kansas school up on our website at some point this weekend. So check out our website uh, this weekend to see where you might uh, where where your fancy might take you next week to catch some great uh, great basketball action across the state. I know I'll probably end up hitting two or three different tournaments. Uh, you know, last year I did uh, did a double on the Saturday that went down and caught the finals at Burlington and then jetted over to Emporia and caught the finals of the Flint Hills League tournament. And uh, that could be on my on my docket again this year, although I, I, I'd be remiss if I don't make it back up to the Twin Valley League tournament. I've been up there once before, but, you know, I might just, just decide to do semifinal night up there at that tournament because that'll give me a chance to see four four great girls teams and four great boys teams on back-to-back nights uh, over there. So uh, we'll kind of see how the schedule will fall, but we'll have some great tournament action next week, and we'll recap all our all the champions from all the tournaments uh, after they're completed next week uh, in the following week. So uh, stay tuned to case you cover for tournament action uh, coverage on all, these, all the really good tournaments that are going to go on next week. And then uh, you know, looking at some of the other sports, uh, you know, no no big earth-shattering news from the executive board on on anything else uh, in, re- in regards to wrestling and and uh, and swimming or anything like that. But uh, you know, they got back into it pretty good last weekend with some good tournaments. Uh, Dodge City had a really strong field out of its tournament, uh, and uh, Manhattan Boys really really made a statement out there. They they put on an impressive performance. Came away with uh, four champions and one of them one of those wasn't one you might have expected Caleb Hutchinson a, a state champion for the Indians last year he got upset in the semifinals at his weight class by Aiden Shields of Valley Center so he didn't win a title but Manhattan got four champions uh, Ezekiel Witt the transfer from Junction City uh, he improved to 23 and 0 when won his weight class uh, returning state champion Jamil Agnew won his weight class Logan Lagerman added a title, and then Clayton Friend, their heavyweight, uh, maybe had the performance of the weekend for Manhattan. He beats uh, Gavin Shippers from Hoxie, who was the Class 3-2-1A heavyweight champion last year. Uh, Friend pins him to cap a day where he pinned all his opponents, and so that was a really nice win. I did a little feature story on Clayton, uh, posted on our website here yesterday, so a uh, really strong showing for Manhattan, and uh, we got the big tournament coming up this week. Maybe the biggest regular season tournament uh, in the state uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, I know there's a really good one in Baser that'll uh, have a lot of lot of quality competition. But the tournament of tournaments uh, during the regular season, at least, uh, will take place down in Newton. And Scott, you know, you you've been out there a couple years now, and and I used to go when when I was down in Emporia. Uh, and go watch Emporia cover that, uh, participate in that tournament when they were really uh, one of the top programs in the state. And it's always a fun tournament. And and uh, a lot of the guys will tell you that uh, winning winning the title at Newton is tougher than winning the state title. Yeah, you just look, you know, that the the finals of that tournament. Um, you know, they they shut the lights off and put the spotlight on the on the mat, and it's you know it's just a special feeling. Uh, really good crowds attend that. You get, <clears throat> like you said, you get wrestlers from all over the, you know, all top wrestlers from all over the state and, you know, a few others from like uh, really good programs like Seneca, Missouri and, uh, you know, come to this. And and uh, it, it really is a preview. You know, you, it is amazing. I guess the two years I've, I've been up there now, to how many of those that win on that night, uh, you know, 
either end up winning their their respective state title or at least making the finals. And uh, it's just always it's the the it, it's a who's who when you get to that championship round. Generally, um, of course, you got host Newton that uh, uh, has been really strong for 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 years. Andale, which won the tournament last year, um, you, you've got uh, Manhattan. Uh, Goddard, you know, the, the who's who of, of really good wrestling teams in the state and, uh, you know, just tons of ranked wrestlers who will be there. And uh, it's a, you know, the, the girls version of that tournament started yesterday or as we're taping this on, on a Thursday, uh, the finals of that tournament is, uh, is today, uh, this afternoon after we get done taping this, but the, the boys start on Friday and uh, the final with the finals on Saturday. And uh, you know, it's a, it's, You've got guys like, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think off top, Washburn Rules, Easton, Easton Broxterman, uh, total stud uh, in the lower weight classes. And, uh, you know, you got Aiden Flores up in the upper weight classes. He and Ronan Wanch both won titles up at the, the Kansas City meet earlier this year. Uh, Clayton Friend from uh, Freen from Manhattan, who you wrote about uh, this week on Case You Covered, uh, Brent. So you get – it's a real good way. And these guys see each other a lot during the course of the season, but this is a real uh, – one where the the championship round ends up pitting uh, you know two pretty strong wrestlers no matter what weight class you're looking at and uh, you know talk about tournaments with tradition this is the 61st annual boys uh, version of the Newton TOC and and really looking forward to going to that here on Saturday. Yeah, I remember last year that's where uh, the Hutchinson kid from Manhattan really kind of kind of made a name for himself because his weight class was loaded. I think it had the number one kid number one kid and six, he wasn't number one at that point but it had number one two three. And 6A and the number one and two kids in 5A. And, uh, you know, he, I think he ended up beating two kids that were ranked number one to get that championship. And, I mean, you got kids that might take fifth down there that end up winning the state title just because of how deep those fields are at Newton. So that'll be a, that'll be a great tournament. And then Baser Linwood has their, their big tournament as well. And that's always a, a really strong field. Uh, they bring down some, some schools from Iowa that are really good. Uh, Abilene goes over there, Rossville goes over there. Um, you know, Basers had a really nice year, uh, really, really strong team. Uh, they, they performed well over at Lewisburg last week and, and their heavyweight, uh, Caden Gedney had a really big tournament, uh, went five and zero with some, and pinned a couple seniors on his way to a state, to a, to a title there at Lewisburg. And he's just in his second year of wrestling. So, uh, Baser Lin, Linwood doing a really strong job. Their girls team has really had a nice year too. Uh, so that'll be a great tournament over at Baser Linwood as well. And, you know, we had, we had some, some good action last week. Uh, you know, Andale, uh, Owen Eck hurt himself during football. It was a, I believe it was a collarbone issue, but he's back. And, uh, he, he went up against Tucker Sell, uh, from Abilene last week at, at a tournament and Eck, uh, handed Sell three losses. I believe it was last year. And the only, those are the only losses Tucker Sell has ever suffered to a Kansas kid. His only other loss came to a kid from Iowa at the at the Baser tournament last year, but uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Eck and Sell met up again, and and X back. He he beat Sell eight to two in the in the finals to hand Sell his first loss of this season. So um, you know it's good to see one of the state's best uh, back on the mat. He'll be going for four state titles this year, and and you would hate to see an injury uh, injury injury derailed that track. But it looks like uh, he's back and 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 as good as ever. And so uh, those were a couple uh, area uh, standouts from my my area. Also, uh, Kira Lecoq and Kendra Hurla from Rossville 
did their did their usual thing over at the Rossville Invitational. But Lecoq got a really big win. Uh, she she uh, faced Holly Thatcher of Oskaloosa, a two-time state champion who's moved up into her weight class this year at 115. And Lecoq got a, a pretty convincing win over over Thatcher. So uh, they they had been at a, a same tournament earlier this year, but uh, Thatcher got upset in the semifinals. So Lecoq didn't get to see her. That was at the girls' baser tournament, uh, Lady Cat Classic before Christmas. And so uh, Lecoq gets to see Thatcher this past weekend over at Rossville and and uh, and hand handles her. So Lecoq looking really strong this year. She's ranked number one in class three two one a or four through one a uh, for the girls. Yeah, at her weight, and then Kendra Hurla just does what Kendra Hurla does. But uh, some good ep- efforts out there. And Ricky, uh, you've had you had a couple teams out west that really did had some nice uh, performances this past week as well. Yeah, Scott City's off to a really nice start. Um, they won the Norton tournament, which is a which is a quality tournament for them. Uh, Houston Frank and Colin McDaniel were both uh, were both champions at that tournament, and they got just some good depth behind them. A lot of third and fourth place finishers. So, uh, yeah, I talked to their coach uh, yesterday, and he's really he's really excited about what they can do and their potential to kind of make some noise in that foray. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you mentioned the, the Dodge tournament, obviously a big tournament. Uh, Hoxie uh, was able to get two champions there with Sam Watkins uh, and Ian Giancola. Um, Hoxie, you know, they're obviously not as dom- dominant as last year, but last year was, you know, a really historic season. But they're, I think they're definitely the team to beat in 3-2-1-A again this year, and they're they're not at, quite at full strength. Uh, yeah, Carson Oaks, who was a state champion, undefeated state champion last year, uh, he'll, he'll be joining them sometime late in the season. Um, and then on the on the girls' side, um, you know, I wrote about Dodge City a couple a week or two ago. Um, their uh, their girls team has a lot of depth, and they're they're really re- wrestling well, and they performed really well at that tournament, and was able to get the win there. Yeah, Mac, anybody from the KC area pop out last week, or and what are you looking forward to maybe in the coming weeks on the wrestling side? Uh, definitely that Bobcat uh, Classic. Uh, it's strange, I'm probably going to end up being there uh, twice and just. Uh, a month there because the lady cat classic uh delivered some great performances and i expect uh same thing with the the uh boys version of the tournament with uh olathe northwest mill valley uh you know paola is one of my top four uh uh 1a teams um when you got uh aquinas uh out there and 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 tonganoxie literally all my top teams, uh, you know, are, are going to be out there and, and, and clashing and you, you'll get to see, uh, some of the top wrestlers. And I think, uh, you know, one I'm really interested, uh, in seeing is, um, right now independence, uh, in four A is, is, is ranked number four, uh, right beyond, right behind, uh, Paola, which I know is a team that has a, a lot of depth and, and, uh, you know, is after last year's fourth place finish, they feel like uh, they got a lot of the right pieces to try to build on that and come back this year and do even better. But uh, Independence is a, a team that's right on their tail. And, and one of the reasons is Mason Gibbons at 106, uh, ranked number one right now. And uh, he's a kid that, you know, is is really not had a tough time so far is just kind of uh, been breezing through uh, most of his opponents to, to uh, start the year and, and to throw him in there, particularly with uh, you know, some of the top 
uh, kids from not just 4A, but uh, from the two higher classes, bigger classes, uh, should be very interesting to, to, to see how he performs. And then uh, when you add him in with uh, Cohen Wright at 138, uh, that independence team is putting it to, together right now. So uh, between uh, you know those teams, the Tonganoxie will be there as well. I got three schools right now that are creeping up on that 4A boys uh, rankings, and and uh, just you know I, I think it will have a pretty good picture of kind of where they land and 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 how they match up uh, after to seeing them go through that Bobcat classic. So that's a, a big one for the, the, the boys side. And then, uh, looking at the girls wrestling, um, uh, a big one is a wrestler that was unranked and, you know, maybe, maybe they should, should have already moved her up on the last rankings, but they definitely got, uh, uh, the, the message, uh, heading into, to this one. Uh, Baldwin's Nora Prather. Uh, I talked about her on the last, uh, podcast when she came in first at the, the lady cat classic. And I guess I didn't even realize, uh, at that time, I didn't look back on the, uh, the, the rankings. She wasn't on there. Um, and she ends up, uh, going into another lady cat, uh, invitational, uh, out of Burlington. Uh, and so, uh, anything named Lady Cat, apparently she's just gonna storm through and, and get big victories because she ends up uh, beating uh, Eureka's Lindsay Escarino, uh, who was number two at at, at one forty and four one a, uh, and and Prather gets the victory there is at eighteen and zero right now, and then you know you look at the the rest of the wrestlers on, on Baldwin, uh, you know three other ranked wrestlers, senior Brown and Mitchell fifth at uh, 100 junior Canyon Burtis six at 105 and Ely Pittman Wood fourth at 190. Uh, Baldwin ends up jumping up to fifth in the the team rankings and and right now Prather looks uh you know like she's on that path to to try to win that uh 41A title at 140. She's she's uh doing so just so good right now. But I mean obviously uh when you have uh you know wrestlers like uh who's there at number one ellis uh kate on hag uh you know like that's a really uh talented uh weight class at 140 but uh to be able to to you know be able to to get those victories and to to be able to beat escarino uh you know and just shoot up to the top uh, of that list uh, pretty good uh month there for prather and then uh also looking at uh chanute right now uh team that's really good ends up ranked six uh in 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 41a and uh sophomore kylie dillo uh is the one uh leading the way she's 19 and 0 right now and uh you know i just mentioned the you know Starting with that Lady Cat Classic, uh, you know, uh, that was one that Dillo ends up beating Olathe Northwest's uh, Chloe Harris in the finals of that one. She follows up 5-0 performance at Shawnee Mission South's uh, Joel Rios Invitational, and she ends up beating Leavenworth's uh, Jacqueline Good- Goodman. Uh, so that right there, it, she has wins over the number two and number three ranked 6-5A uh, wrestler in, in her weight class. Uh, so she's still number two right now, uh, in, in, in four one, a, uh, at one seventy uh, behind Oakley's, uh, Ativia Kane. But, 
uh, right now, Dillo uh, at a just you know to, to get those two wins. I gotta imagine she's riding high right now, and then you put in what the rest of her team's doing. The the comments are uh, looking really good right now, heading uh, into to to this week. Yeah, Schnute, you're defending state champion in girls class four A, and a and and Ricky, the number one team in girls class four A is is Oakley, and you know they they're a team that that really had a nice season out west uh, for for you know on the girls side, uh, Oakley ranking number one right ahead of Rossville, uh, Pratt number three, Winfield four, and Baldwin five, but Oakley's really had a strong season this season. Yeah, they definitely have. A, you know, a little bit surprising, but. The reason why they've been so strong is they've had a really good uh, group of incoming freshmen come in and, and make an immediate impact, and to go to go along with a you know a Tavia Kane who who uh, great wrestler there at, at 170 who who came within one match of winning a state championship last year. Um, yeah, that it didn't look like it was their best effort there at the at the uh, Norton Invitational. They ended up uh, uh, finishing third, but I I think they've been a really cool story, and I'll I'll be interesting to see uh, you know how the team race shakes out. And when you know, with obviously Rossville's really really hungry for a state title as well. Um, you know it's kind of, it's going to be kind of interesting how the uh, how the four through one a uh, uh, shapes out in, in the in the team race. Yeah, absolutely. Usually it comes down to depth. Uh, you know, Rossville obviously has a, a lot of power at the top with Lecoq and Herla, and then uh, Haley Horton has had a has had a solid season, and and she was ranked number one in, at 155 to start the season. She's down to to fifth now with a uh, Oak League freshman up there at number two behind a uh, tree goes Maya Mathire as who's ranked number one. But uh, yeah, depth usually plays a plays a factor in in those girls rankings especially in 4-1a where you, you know you, you're gonna you might see champions from you know 10 different schools at the 12 weight classes or 14 weight classes whatever if the 14 weight classes you know you might have champions from different schools and if you look at the number one the top top rankings across the board rossville really i believe is the only no rossville and winfield both have have two wrestlers ranked number one for Win, winfield sheena gosella at 100 and Abby Brunn at uh, 190. Her older brother Colby won a state title a couple years ago uh, for Winfield. But then it's just, you know, 105, Bueller, Kim, Bueller's Kimberlyn Crabs, 110, Chapman's Alyssa Kalovich, 115, Rossville's Carol Lecoq, 120, Rossville's Kendra Herla, 125, Clay Center's Gabby Coppice, 130, Colby's Amanda Yeager, 135, Smoky Valley's Kira Mullen, 140, Ellis's K. Don Haig, 45, Russell's Jaden Nay, you know, 155, Trigo's Maya Mathire, 170, Octavia Kane Oakley, uh, and then 235, Paola's Kenna Leonard. So, yeah, you know, there, there's not these these uh, rankings like in the boys' rankings where you might see Hoxie has three or four or five guys ranked number one, or Mays might have three or four, or Rose Hill. You know, those, those programs have – have multiples, uh, you know, on the girls' side, it's a little bit more spread out. So it tr- certainly makes for a, a fun a fun race for the team title when we get to that point. But we're still a, over a month away from that, but we're closing in on uh, just about a month away from the state championships and swimming. And, you know, not a whole lot has changed when you look at the uh, at the season honor rolls. Uh, you know, the, the usual suspects are out there out there leading the leading the way uh, talking about Brock Wallace of Wichita Northwest Grady O'Connor of Shawnee Mission South Zach Mendez of Lansing 
uh, Frank Alberti of, of Cape and Mount Carmel, um, you know, Micah Churchill, Blue Valley Northwest. Uh, uh, Mac, you wrote a little bit about Blue Valley North and uh, how their depth has really carried them to a, a strong start of the season. And I know that's kind of the same way for programs like Andover, Capen, and Collegiate. And, uh, you know, so much of the swimming's dominated from the KC and, and Wichita metro areas. Uh, you know, aside from just some of our usual suspects, anybody that's jumping out, uh, really nice surprises uh, for either of those two areas for you guys? I think the big thing is right now, I, I and, and from talking with uh, Rob Cole, the, the head coach for Blue Valley North, it, it, it seems like, uh, particularly this year, uh, he, you know, he told me heading into the season, he was thinking it might have been a down year just with some of the top kids that had graduated last year. And he was uh, really impressed with the way that that didn't really happen. A lot of the uh, returners really stepped up and, and all across the state were seeing some some really good times. But the thing that really stood out, uh, you know, is just the idea that at this point, normally you might see uh, a few swimmers that on that honor roll are top five in, you know, five, six, seven events. And it starts to be, it's like, okay, where are they going to jump in? But a lot of the times that's actually not even really the case. The ones that are doing that in six or seven events, they kind of have one or two. We know which one they're going to come in and they're going to dominate. And once you get past the, the, the names that uh, Brent just gave us, uh, there's not those kids. There's not those races that are all filled up and will just be like, okay, for sure, that one's going to be, you know, these two kids fighting for first and second. Um, there, there are those ones that, uh, you know, are clearly kind of taken for. And unless, you know, we get a curveball like, uh, you know, Grady O'Connor being uh, uh, top time in the 100 and the 200 free, but he's also top time in the 50 free. He's probably not doing the 50 free. He might, he might trick us and it might happen, but uh, that's one race right now. When you, you look at it, uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, uh, coach Cole pointed out as uh, that, that one's wide open because there's not that dominant racer with, with O'Connor being the top time and he's probably not going to swim in it. Uh, you just see the potential for, uh, you know, somebody to decide, Hey, I might have these two races that have been my bread and butter. These are the ones I want to do. But, man, if I jump into the 50 free, I might be able to to jump in there and not just get me a, a you know, a, a into the finals. I might be able to win that thing. Uh, so as you're looking at that and we're going forward, it'll be interesting to see if uh, some of these swimmers start to branch out. Do they even – uh, you know, go and, and, and have in one of these later meets, try these other races, or do they just want to kind of keep that in the pocket and wait till they get to state? Cause they know in, you know, their club teams, here's what my time was. Here's what I can do. And maybe in practice they're, they're getting ready for it, but they might just not keep that as a little bit of a surprise and, and decide to, you know, you get to that, uh, swim at once, make sure you qualify. And then, you know, just decide to jump in when you get to state. Uh, that might be what ends up happening for a few of these because, uh, you know, you, you even look at some uh, times right now, I, I, I think as I'm, uh, you said usual suspects, but usual suspects are usually Shawnee Mission East. And uh, right now they haven't swam enough for us to really get a, a good picture. So, uh, you know, 
we know they have the guys. We know that every year by the end they get their swimmers ready to go. So uh, I, I think one big thing to keep an eye on isn't so much which swimmers have kind of stood out and, and, and it's who comes on at the end, who we're going to see. And the big one will be uh, a week from Saturday out at Shawnee Mission uh, Athletic uh, Complex at the uh, – uh, out there in Lenexa, they're going to have uh, an invitational with some of the best teams. Uh, basically, looks like a mini state meet, and uh, that was one that uh, literally the difference of Blue Valley North beating Shawnee Mission East there last year was about the difference of them beating them at state. Uh, and and you'll get a chance to to really see where people size up and, and maybe other times where they're not really thinking about state, that might be one where you, you get a, you know, look behind the curtain a little bit and see where they decide to throw a kid in. That might end up being a pretty good indication of where they might want to put somebody in at state. So uh, that's one I'm excited to, to, to see. And when we get back on the next podcast, that's when I'll probably have a pretty good list of, Hey, here's a kid that really, you know, just swam like crazy. And you'll want to write their name down on a short list for kids to watch when we get to state. Yeah, I've got a I've got a similar one, similar meet coming up here down here in the Wichita area. Andover's hosting its midseason invitational on Saturday, and and that's another one where you're going to get a lot of kids who are going to make a big impact on probably on that state honor roll. Um, it's uh, it's not necessarily a meet where those those guys will commit to swim the events they're probably going to swim at state. Occasionally, you might get a kid that, that will do that. I just remember last year, uh, Wichita Collegiate Adam Sandy. I think he swam some different things, but. But kind of talking to him after that meet is it was just to him just to compete against these good guys these you know no matter what event it is just to the the essence of competition at this point is kind of the the thing and and getting in the water and and trying to beat somebody in in whatever it is backstroke breaststroke you know freestyle you name it uh, you know this may not be the time they lock in on what they're going to do at state but they're they're certainly you know a lot of these guys that that I'm going to see you know Saturday. Uh, you know, Eli Connor to, to Vandover, uh, Derek Yang of Collegiate, Brock Wallace, who, who Brent mentioned from Wichita Northwest. They they are all going to be at this Andover Invitational, and and I'll be curious to see what they you know what they swim. But those are guys who are already on the honor roll on you know in in multiple events, and and uh, uh, you talk about a state you know a mini state preview. That's this is another meet uh, at Andover's real, really nice new facility there. Um, you know. A lot of good guys are going to get in the water on Saturday just just to go go head to head and and uh, um, yeah so expect that uh, expect that state honor roll to be shaken up a little bit uh, after that beat on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And you know, Scott, you mentioned Connor the boys. He's had a really nice year. He was kind of you know kind of a guy that uh, really ch- chipped in strong on the relays last year individually. You know, top five type type of guy. But you know, this year you look at that five uh, A honor roll and he's. He's up there in quite a few events, uh, either one, two, three. Uh, so he's really uh, kind of taken it to another another level this year, and it'll be interesting to see where he ends up deciding to go. Uh, you know, he and Frank Alberti are two guys down there in that Wichita area that seem to have a lot of versatility in terms of uh, where where their decisions may lie. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where they end up, and if they go if they go head to head. I don't remember if Capen's at that meet this weekend or. Or not, but uh, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think they are. But uh, but yeah, you're right. Definitely two of the top swimmers in five through one a, and and Connor has, like you said, he's really he's really made a strong impact this year. Uh, just 
just signed uh, to swim at Carson Newman University next year. So uh, big things happening for him, and he's certainly having a season worthy of that. Yep. Well, we'll get to, uh, as we get closer to the state uh, for swimming, you know, the season's starting to wind down. We'll get a, a strong picture of what we can look ahead to at the at the state meets there in mid-February. And then, you know, the last of the winter sports to get going was bowling. They, they were able to start up right after the start of the new year. There's only been a handful of meets, but already one big meet uh, happened down in Wichita last weekend, the the Baker Baker tournament out of hosted by Carroll and you know 35 teams out there boys and girls uh that place had to have been just buzzing and and Ricky wrote a little bit about uh, the Great Bend girls and you know coming off a, a state championship a year ago down in down in Wichita in class five through one a uh you know they they went down and kind of opened the season showing uh hey we're, we're still here and, and going to be a force to be reckoned with yeah, yeah. As Scott and I were talking about earlier, don't ask me to explain that much about that format and how that worked, but I can tell you, Great Bend bowled well, according to to Coach David Feldbauer. Uh, uh, Baker is something that format is something they really they really kind of hit home. He says they they practice it, they feel comfortable in it. Um, you know, that was one of the main reasons they won state championship last year is they they performed really well in the in the Baker format and. Uh, you know, it, they lost two good seniors off that team, but uh, returned to two of their top bowlers and Kalen uh, Kalen Wallmeyer and uh, Zoe Mayberry, and uh, then you know uh, Emily Nelson, I believe, was another state placer, and then just added some a little bit of depth behind them. So I think um, you know they're definitely a favorite uh, this year to, to to win again. And um, I know their coach was really happy about winning that tournament and and how they performed in that. And obviously that yeah that's one of the biggest tournaments uh, I think all year long in bowling and so they were really excited to get to get that win for the first time yeah like we said 35 teams there and and Wichita Northwest always a uh, always a strong program in, in bowling both boys and girls you know Junction City they've been they've had really strong teams here Garden City was there uh, you know I think the Garden City boys team has, is going to be pretty good this year and the girls team uh, right there as well uh, you just go down campus was there uh, Capen, Bishop Carroll, uh, Emporia, I mean, Dodge City, all, all kinds of really quality programs from kind of everybody outside the KC metro area. <laughs> Pretty much they had a bowling program was there. Um, didn't look like anybody from KC, the KC area came down, but I know, or the Topeka area really uh, came down to that. But I know there's a big one uh, over in Lawrence coming up, uh, usually is a really good one uh, uh, that goes on over there at Royal lawrence's royal crest lane so we'll uh we'll dive in more into bowling there's only been a handful of meets i think there was supposed to be a, quite a few this week uh, early in the week and obviously the weather weather messed up that schedule a little bit so uh we'll get into some more bowling here as they really ramp up uh, and get their season going we get start getting an honor roll put together and kind of start identifying who some of the those top returners from last year that were coming back uh are, are going to be uh you know people to contend with this year we do return some state champions uh we did do our bowling preview uh over the break uh talked about uh boys and girls bowlers to watch in each classification and the one thing new for bowling this year is class four through one a will have their own classification this year uh in the past they've been they've been grouped together with class 5a and so we've only had two state tournaments well this year we'll have three state tournaments we'll have class 6a and 5a will each have their own and class Four through one A will have their own this year, and I know for programs like 
uh, Wichita Trinity's boys and Bueller's boys and girls. Uh, I, they've got to be stoked about this, Scott, because, you know, they've they've been to programs that have been very competitive uh, with with the likes in the Class 5A. Uh, Trinity boys were runner-up last year, and Bueller girls and boys have been top five uh, type teams in, in Class 4A. Uh, Augusta girls, you know, had a year a couple years ago where they were right up there too so those programs have to be really excited about the uh, expansion and in, in bowling uh, to add another classification yeah i think that's i think you just hit the nail on the head it, it really that's the maybe the fascinating part about bowling this year is this year your your state tournament uh has run for two days now it's going to be a three-day tournament with this with the the separation of 5a and, and four through 1a so uh, there's going to be a lot of bowling going on down at wichita as there as there always is in late february early march and uh, the four through one A, the new class, like you said, I think you you name two teams that really uh, can benefit from that that split with with Trinity and and Bueller, uh, both very strong programs in their own right when they were competing five through one A. But I think this really opens the door for them. Uh, Trinity's already shown some flashes. They they were one of the few teams who were able to get a a dual meet in last week. And on the boys' side, uh, Croy Wright and and Connor John both bowled over seven hundred series in their first time out. So. Uh, those that's a team that that I think can can really make you know like you said after finishing second and five through one a uh, last year uh, had minimal losses off la- off last year's team and, and can really do some some damage so uh, yeah I think that's the that's probably the neat thing I know Bueller Bueller's very excited about the possibility of, of you know just having that third class and and uh, you know they 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 feature depth on on both boy, on their boys and girls squads and and uh, so maybe <clears throat> kind of harbor that hope uh, of maybe doing a boys girls sweep. And but uh, yeah, it's still really early though. Like you said, weather's knocked out a lot of, of dates on the on the lane so far. But I'm looking forward to seeing who kind of emerges, and and uh, it'll be neat to get that on a roll established. Yeah, and we do have uh, both our defending champions and on the girls' side will be back this year. Uh, Morgan Henning of, of Derby was the 6A girls' champion last year, and then Riley Lambeth of Salina South was the 5A champion last year. Uh, Ricky mentioned Great Ben's Kaylin Walmeyer. She was the 5A champion two years ago. So there's, uh, there's three former state champions uh, competing this year on the boys' side. You know, is this the year for K.J. Burns, uh, Kane Burns from Garden City? Uh, he's been runner-up individually the last two years, just kind of right there knocking on the door. Uh, you know, in 6A, Tommy Mitchell from Olathe Northwest was your state champion. He's graduated. So the door is open there for K.J. Burns to uh, maybe finally get his state title and add his add his name to the legacy there in Garden City. And then the 5A, uh, 5A is open as well. Uh, Colby Lovegren of DeSoto was your state champion there last year. Um, and, and several of the top bowlers in 5A from a year ago graduated. So that title will be wide open. Uh, Rhett Ryman from Casey Turner was a guy who uh, really finished the season strong, nearly had a perfect game at the state tournament in, the, in his last game, uh, came up two pins shy of getting that, getting that perfect game. And he's had one before, so he, he knows how to get it done. So he'll be a guy, uh, Casey Piper boys are the defending 5A 5A boys state champions return their top two guys from last year and in, in Darren Spack and, and Colton Bard. So Piper will be a team to to contend with. And then, you, you know, your usual suspects, Seaman boys uh, should be strong again this year. They grad, they took some graduation losses, most notably losing Ethan Burns, who's, who was a, their top bowler the past couple of years. But, you know, Seaman will be right there. And there, there, there's some good teams uh, that, that are going to challenge Piper this year in, in, 6A, in, in class 5A and then 6A, 
you know, like these girls won the title last year, graduated all five seniors off that roster. So the 6A title is there for the taking. Uh, and, uh, and then on the boys' side, um, you know, it's, it's just going to be a, a good battle. It, it always is. You know, uh, all those teams that are, you, you, you know, your usual suspects there, Washburn Rural won it last year, had one of the greatest Baker performances the state's ever seen, probably the greatest. Uh, you know, I don't know that they officially kept records of that, but uh, in talking to our gurus that at State Bowling, Eric Johnson, who helps us out all the time, he couldn't remember a better state state performance or Baker performance at state. And so uh, Washington Rural will have to replace four seniors. So uh, class 6A looks to be a little wide open as well. So uh, it would be interesting to watch uh, how the bowling season uh, unfolds, but uh, they're just getting started and, and lots more to come. So that'll cover the, uh, the athletic side of the winter season. We'd, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that uh, state debate is this weekend, uh, you know, for those, uh, those, student athletes, uh, activists, however you want to call them, uh, competing in debate. Uh, they'll, they'll get their state championships going this weekend. Uh, had their regionals actually before the break. And so um, you look at, uh, just look at debate real quick, your regional champions. You had Blue Valley South, Blue Valley West uh, won the Shawnee Mission South Regional and Washburn Rural won the, uh, won its regional. Washburn Rural has been the power in uh, Class 6A, uh, they've won multiple uh, four-speaker titles in a row, uh, going for another crown this year. They were 10-0 at their uh, at their regional, but Blue Valley West was 12-0 at their regional. So uh, could be a could be a showdown in the making there between uh, Blue Valley West and Washburn Rural for the 6A state title. In Class 5A, your regional champions were Newton and Blue Valley Southwest. Uh, in Class 4A, your regional champions were Bishop Miege and McPherson. And then in class three, two, one, a, your regional champions were Seabury and then Halstead and Halstead's probably the, the notable one there. in the fact that, uh, they, they finished ahead of Wichita collegiate, which, uh, just as Washburn rural has been the, uh, kind of the pre preeminent, eminent power in class six, a Wichita collegiate has been the, uh, been a dominant force in, uh, in class three, two, one, a. And so, um, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if, uh, if Halstead or Seabury can can deny the uh, the the Spartans again this year, so uh, good luck to all the debaters this weekend as you go for your state championships, and uh, and we'll have a uh, have a recap of that coming up on our our website next week as well. So uh, good luck debaters this weekend, and good luck to all the teams uh, at their uh, midseason tournaments uh, next next week for basketball and and wrestlers at, at your tournaments this weekend. Uh, we'll be we'll be watching with uh, definite interest here at Keisha Covered. So, for Brent Maycock, Scott Past, Mac Moore, and Ricky Peterson, we will sign off our Keisha Covered podcast, brought to you by Cap Fed True Blue.